The Avatar can be reborn, but you can't, Kiyoshi. And I don't want to give you up to the next generation. I couldn't bear to lose you. FC Yi, The Rise of Kiyoshi. Bending Not Breaking, Avatar Legends, and The Rise of Kiyoshi. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. This is season eight of the podcast. We've done seven podcast seasons. We did a full three seasons of Atla. We did four seasons of Korra. We've talked about all kinds of seasons of the Dragon Prince, but this is season eight of Bending Not Breaking. And I am so grateful that you all are still here listening uh, to this. It's been a, a real joy and I'm excited for... Uh, this next kind of turn for the podcast, I have been wondering how we were going to proceed and whether we were going to proceed. Uh, and frankly, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. We know that Netflix's live action Avatar is coming out in February. We know that Avatar Studios is pumping out things soon. We know that the Dragon Prince is coming out for season six, probably in the spring. There's a lot of really cool things happening. And I was like, how do we turn like the podcast into something that is going to, what is it? What are we going to do while we wait for those things? And right now I'm leaning towards talking about the Kyoshi novels and going through those while we are kind of in, in wait for these bigger projects that are coming out. And I'm really excited because uh, I have a friend who is going to join us today to talk about the, the Kiyoshi Navi novels, but also about some other cool things that we've been doing. And so before we do that, I wanna normally, when we are talking about the show, we presume that everyone has watched all of the episodes and is familiar with everything. And that's less true with the Kiyoshi novels and the fan base. And so I'm going to just preempt this conversation by saying, we are presuming that you have read the Kiyoshi novels today uh, and in our future episodes covering the book. And so either that or you just don't mind spoilers. Uh, funny thing, it's been proven that spoilers don't necessarily ruin the consumer experience. Sometimes they enhance it. So FYI. Uh, so if you want to avoid those spoilers, uh, you can listen to the front half of the episode while we talk about Avatar Legends. And you can dip out when we switch over to Kiyoshi. Uh, but for now, I'm excited to welcome our guest. Uh, our guest today is Brooke Newhart, uses she, they pronouns, and is a fan of Avatar, an excellent artist. Yeah, you heard it, folks. Artist, creativity. Uh, and not only are they creative in their, uh, you know, artistic endeavors, but they are also an artist when it comes to playing a character on Avatar Legends. Uh, they think about their character so often that they dream about the lines they want to deliver in the game. And she has also read the Kiyoshi novels, and I am thrilled to welcome Brooke. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I know that, you know, like I said that, so it's, it's 10 o'clock where we're, we're recording and you were like, that's kind of early. How are, how are you faring this morning considering the time? Um, 
doing the best I can. Had a late night last night, but I'm just bundled up. I brought my bed with me. Uh, so I'm full of blankets right now. Love it. That is totally lovely. Well, I'm 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 thrilled that you are willing to bear the 10 o'clock in the morning time frame for us. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a really neat episode. Um, but tell us tell us a little bit about you so that our listeners can kind of get a, a frame of reference for what makes you you. Oh, uh, that's um, that's a lot to ask. I and I believe in you. <laughs> I like to draw. I like Avatar. Um, I like to garden and live out in the country. And I really like cats. And those are all of my interests. That's it. That's everything. Yep. <laughs> uh, you also read. You like I when I heard what you liked to read, I was surprised. I was I was like, oh, interesting. So what tell me tell us a little bit about that too. Um, I like a lot of uh, horror novels. Yeah. Um, like what is that? Like, <laughs> like to like to be disturbed. And then I also read a lot of a uh, YA to not be disturbed and to <laughs> come down from the from all the awful books. <laughs> Fair, a lot of the YA can be disturbing too. <laughs> True, <laughs> a dystopian uh, hellscapes that seem a little bit too close to home. <laughs> but amazing. Okay, so we like to garden, we like to draw, we like to do all the things. Um, I'm interested in kind of picking your brain around just like when did you first come across avatar were were you an early adopter did you find it late in life what is your what is your avatar experience not an early adopter um my family didn't have cable growing up so i didn't watch it until um it was posted online in the late 2010s i guess um so high school and college um i went to a a dry university with no party scene and so my friends and I would all get together and just rewatch Avatar and drink chocolate milk and that was like our Friday night plans throughout all of college (laughs) (laughs) no that's awesome and did you were you like you watched it and rewatched it so this was a more than one time consumption kind of a deal it was like an every year rewatch love that yeah, I, I get the feeling. I mean, I feel like a lot of adults nowadays would hear that. Like, <laughs> like oh, hot chocolate and Avatar party sounds <laughs> really appealing. <laughs> um, Amazing. So I when we were uh, Avatar Legends kind of just had come out mm-hmm. and I was super interested in playing. And so I, of course, bought all of the materials being like, if you build it, they will come. And I was going around to people who I knew uh, played role-playing games and also had any sort of interest in Avatar. And uh, I found one, like I went to one friend knowing that there was interest there. And so that was easy. But then I was like, who else do I go to? And so I went to... Uh, I was talking to someone, we all work in a restaurant. I was talking to someone in the kitchen because I knew he played D&D before. And the other, one of the other people in the kitchen overheard and was like, I want to play. And I was like, great, we have a few people. And then I didn't even like consider you because I, one, I didn't think I knew that you were an Avatar fan. And also I didn't know that you were an RPG fan, a TTRPG fan. 
And it, eventually it was like, oh, hey, do you like Avatar? Um, and here we are. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, just for people's understanding, what's your experience prior to playing Avatar Legends with this group? Um, what's your experience with either D&D or TTRPGs uh, and anything along those lines? Um, I played a lot of D&D 5e in college. Um, not great experiences. I never had any long running campaigns. Um, a lot of maybe month long and then it fell apart. Um, I tried DMing for some gals in my residence hall. Um, and it was fine. I liked it, but it just didn't work out. Um, my experience with Avatar Legends has been much better, both I think as a system and, um, just the group that we're playing with. Yeah, our our group is pretty stellar. Um, okay, so we've been we've been playing for nine, ten, nine months. I feel like we started, I believe, what in last spring, last March, I think. So it's been March nine months. Here we are. It's been nine months. <laughs> um, and we've been attempting to meet like every other week and then you know throughout of course nine month period people get sick and things along those lines but we've been largely consistent and been able to and i feel like that's where most our ttrpgs fall apart is like the the battle is getting people to the table mm -hmm, for um, sure. and something about this campaign and this story that we're telling is compelling enough to keep us coming back. <laughs> um, and so I'm excited to kind of lean into that in a minute, but I also want to kind of brush up on uh, briefly just that playing this game, I think is what led you to reading the Kiyoshi novels. Oh, for sure. I, uh, I read the Kiyoshi novels because you told me I should read the Kiyoshi novels. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of those things where, so can you, can you tell us before we, I, I know we're not there yet, but can you tell us just a little bit about the kind of create character that you created? Uh, and I can, which will, I think, give, give context to why I recommended you and pointed you towards the novels. Hmm, for sure. Um, so Izo is a very privileged um, elite son of the Fire Nation. And he is... I would say a little more morally gray, gets very angry very easily, um, very stubborn, um, and sometimes feels like he's being dragged along by his friends to um to do good in the world where he is a bit of a stick of a stick in the mud. <laughs> yeah, that seems all entirely accurate for sure. <laughs> uh I so Izo's uh family uh parents are like part of the fire nation military and or i guess Izo's father is um and one of the we were encountering a like uh upscale event in our story and you started asking a bunch of questions around like fire nation politics and i was like listen the best place to get that is from the source. And there's a lot of Fire Nation politics in the Kiyoshi novels. Um, and so I pointed you there and you <laughs> you were like, okay, here we go. Um, and dove right in. Um, and so briefly, like we'll we'll touch on it a little bit more deeply later, but what, what is what was your experience kind of reading the Kiyoshi novels? 
I was um really surprised by how more adult they were than Avatar. Yeah. Like, it was um <laughs> a lot scarier right from the get-go. <laughs> Um, yeah. There's a lot more like death and maybe it's um different reading it than seeing it on um on a show just the way your brain perceives it. But I was I was a little shocked at the beginning, like oh this is this feels like a lot more grown up experience than um than the cartoon show did. Yeah, which is kind of wild, and I think one of the reasons I like that is it also kind of paved the way for Avatar Legends to be more serious too, mm -hmm. for it to kind of have a more, you know, quote, adult theme um, to it. And I, I feel like we've kind of lived into that too in our story, um, which is really exciting. So I'm excited to to touch on that. But now you've gotten a taste, listeners, for what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to now dive a little bit more deeply into just our experience with Avatar Legends. Uh, and kind of the point of this is, one, to encourage everyone who's listening to see if you can find a way to play because it's super awesome. Uh, and it's also very accessible to people who've not really dealt with RPGs before. Um the, again, the, the hardest part is getting people to the table. <laughs> but okay, uh, let's let's dive in. So I would love to kind of get broad strokes around your just experience with the game. And so uh, can you, from your perspective as a player, tell us a little bit about uh, the setting and like the 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 big events that are happening in the world? Yes. So a uh, nice part about Legends is you can um, pick which Avatar era you want to be in. So we're in the Roku era. Um, we are kind of dealing with the themes of the, the Dragon Annihilation. And we started out um, our group wanting to save the dragons and protect them, knowing that if we stuck with canon, we would eventually fail in our, in our mission. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we've been uh, traveling around the Fire Nation and Earth Nation trying to um, get information about the dragons and do what we can as a small group to protect them. And what I really like is that we have yet to actually encounter the Avatar in our storyline. We are pretty much in an Avatar-less world, even though um, everything else... Uh, world building is still the same yeah so the roku era according to the legends like rule core rule book is right between when sozin becomes fire lord and avatar roku's wedding and so we're kind of in that space between where we're still early on in sozin's leadership of the fire nation and we're we're pre-wedding which means sozin is still not like technically a bad guy yet um we we know that you know the fire nation is really there's a lot of prosperity things are going really well in the fire nation and um that's often kind of attributed to sozin's leadership this is an unprecedented time of peace and it's kind of wild because 
you know, we have yet to encounter Sozin either, but a lot of the things that, that kind of happen in our story are like, why is this happening? Why is the fire nation still, um, associated with all of these things? And because it's weird for, for us as a story to kind of get from a to B knowing that in like 60 years, there's going to be a genocide. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. And so it's a bit of a a bit of a it dampens our mood a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's one of those things where like how do we live into knowing that's going to be true while also making it possible that, you know, Sozin's not the bad guy, right? And it's really interesting in terms of character creation and in terms of like overall big story things that are happening to uh, like lay like, oh, this is potentially what's going to lead to this later on. And it's kind of, it's kind of like, ooh, it makes me feel like, oh God, this is how genocide happens. And yeah. we're laying groundwork for that. Um, not in the sense that we're like, we're not laying groundwork for genocide, but we are. <laughs> that sounds weird. But what we're doing is kind of like illustrating the, what it looks like. And frankly, it kind of feels a little close to home sometimes. Yeah, yeah for sure. But anyway, so we're in the Roku era. We are working in kind of going back and forth between Earth Nation, Fire Nation, depending upon like some of the events that have been happening, uh, having even touched the water tribes, having gone near the air temples. Um, and it's it's really interesting that our story has kind of really pulled us in these directions. So uh, of all the places we've explored, what has been your your favorite place or the favorite favorite area that we've kind of touched on i mean gotta be gao chang Ooh, yeah Tell us a little bit about that um so one of our um characters in the story came from a small town called maizu village which is by all means just a very small farming community and we wound up there um following this dragon that we were trying to protect and just really beaten down and needing to rest after this, um, one of the members of our group just said, oh, well, come to my shed and we'll all hang out there. <laughs> Turns out this um, shed is a secret um, earthbending elevator that took us down into the city of Gaocheng, a hidden city um, underneath the Earth Kingdom, where um, everybody who lives there is very secretive, does not leave does not leave this underground paradise um except for the the villager who is in our group and just um one of those secret areas that a total surprise to everyone else in our group and very different atmosphere from all the other places in the earth kingdom and the fire nation that we had visited before yeah it's it's what a cool place right in the sense that you know, as the person who, so I am GMing the campaign. And so I don't really have a character that I'm embodying or playing, but 
I got a call from one of our characters from this person and he was just like, so what if we just did this? <laughs> and I was like, let's, let's do it. <laughs> like, let's, and, and he was like, I don't really care about anything else other than I just want to pull this out of my pocket. And so he kind of left it to me to like do all of the planning for it. But it was one of those things where the idea of a secret city in the earth kingdom that is doing things differently that's not necessarily living under the monarchy that is kind of not in in at this point in time there's also two kind of monarchies there the there's the uh bossing say monarchy but also there's the omashu uh and so right now politically those two are kind of uh monarchical rivals and um we kind of got to separate ourselves from all of that because they were secret right like and so this whole thriving city is at once kind of operating in a place where we're doing things better than than the earth kingdom is and it was this kind of like socialist everybody supports everybody experience and we got to kind of live into like a society that's like oh no this is a really neat concept yeah, and it's it's really nice in contrast to the Fire Nation, where everything is super patriotic. Um, everyone yeah. following our the set monarchy. Um, just a, a great contrast to see how differently things could go in different areas. Yeah, this just a a glimpse of what could be instead of the <laughs> the capitalist. Uh, yeah, it's it's wild. But anyway, that was a a really cool setting. I. I think that's been a really fun thing to kind of live into and of course Maizu village is on the map of like a canon map um for the avatar world up in the northwest uh portion of the earth kingdom uh right by the stone fingers um and it's really neat to kind of think about what capacity there is for like fans of the of the world to create right and to really um begin to own some of the creativity of the world of avatar and be good stewards of what that is what is possible in the world um which has been neat yeah i was um really grateful that you were dming as someone with extensive knowledge about uh the world building that felt like an easy leader um but it's also nice that there's so much open and so many different directions that you can go. There's nothing like requiring that you stick to canon. And it just gives you a great uh, like open world to, to build your own thing in. Yeah, and that was one of the, our early discussions around how we wanted to kind of play this game was, do we want to follow canon, <laughs> right? And the group basically said mostly <laughs> um and so it was one of those things where we have been doing our best to live into like we're not going to do anything that's not impossible in the world we're also going to realize that this is the timeline that we're following and the big events are happening but the smaller things and the other in-game things we were kind of able to to be free in 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 things like that so that's been really neat so you've told us a little bit about your character about about Izo 
And um, I, I'm curious, like when you were in character creation mode, like why, why Iza? Why did you want to play this character? I wanted to do a more morally gray character. And um, also I was kind of thinking of more of a background character. I, I picked for Izo to be a non-bender because at the beginning I was nervous that I didn't have the creativity to role play bending and do, to do something really cool. Um, I figured everyone else will want to play uh, benders. So I'll just, I'll stick to the back and I'll make a character who's um, very reserved, very serious, very um, stick in the mud so that I as the player um, would not be expected to be funny or creative. <laughs> and as I've gotten more comfortable, I think we've uh, broken out of that a bit more. And Izo is more sassy as we've gone along. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I liked that he had a lot of commitments to his family, even though his family is not is not doing what is right most of the time. Um, he's drawn that, in multiple directions. That's a that kind of brings me to the 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 question of one of the cool things about this uh, setting, this play style, is that it's the it's called powered by the apocalypse, and so that is instead of D and D, it's powered by the apocalypse, and so it provides us with a set of rules that we live into and. Uh, one of the cool things about Avatar Legends is it utilizes a thing called playbooks. And playbooks uh, in Avatar have a balance spectrum, right? It's all about balance. And each character playbook has two values that they are really kind of uh, struggling between, and so in your creation of, of Izo, when you were looking at all these playbooks and looking at all these values, you chose a specific one. So what, what did you choose and what are the values and why did you think that those kind of aligned with this, you know, stick in the mud that you've picked? <laughs> yeah, um, so Izo is the guardian and his two values are self-reliance and trust, um, which I think is... Every every playbook character is drawn between those between between two kind of not conflicting half conflicting half working together values, yeah. um, and it makes it really easy to role play because you're giving your characters motivations right up front, and mm -hmm. they also give you um personality um, aspects that you can play into. But I liked self reliance and trust as Izo's values because he could rely on his team and go with the flow when needed, but he also um, lets him be stubborn and kind of um, helicopter mom in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a big aspect. He's the guardian is largely a support character who um, picks, uh, picks a ward out of the group that they want to protect and you can role play that however you want. Um, Izo is very committed, possibly to an unhealthy point in um, being <laughs> a helicopter mom to someone in the group. And yeah, it it well, is sometimes a hindrance and sometimes a help. Well, it's so fun too, because 
a lot of things happen when your ward listens to you and when they don't (laughs) and they have a little bit of agency in terms of uh, it affects your mood. It affects everything kind of about how you play when they put themselves in danger without consulting you, when they do things uh, without kind of your awareness. And uh, it was so fascinating. The first, you know, probably what, five or six episodes that we participated in, you had one person and uh, it really grew your bond game wise to the point where when that shifted, it was a big deal when your ward shifted uh, in our game, right? It was a, a huge experience for, I think, the entire group. And it was a like, I, I kind of think about it. I'm like, oh, my God, it was like, oh, the other person's growing up. They're they're able to take care of themselves now. <laughs> uh, it was just a really neat uh, way to watch that evolve. Does that resonate with you, too? Does that seem right or is that just oh, me sure it um it enabled a like a huge role play moment and i think that's the best thing about the system is everything it's the the whole formula is made to enable like really easy role play mm-hmm. um just all the systems whether it's personal characters or the mechanic uh personal playbooks or the mechanics of the game are just made to um, like facilitate role playing and to give you like a guideline of how how you can go about building in important and special moments kind of in that um in that avatar way to yeah. touch, to touch into the emotions and to um get down to your core values yeah well it's really fascinating for me like when you watch certain episodes of avatar especially later on i think about the episodes where like toth and katara are fighting Mm -hmm. and uh things are like everybody's like antsy and on edge and by the end of the episode everybody's apologized and said that they're sorry and they've made up and they've kind of worked with one another and everybody feels better at the end of the show the the role-playing game is designed for that too, where uh, tension is built up between characters and then there are mechanisms in game that allow those things to diffuse. And it in, the game encourages that. And it is, those are my favorite moments. Me too. The moments when uh, I, I love the losing our, like when you lose your balance, often what happens is uh, you do things that are outside of your value or your value is, uh, so if your value like yours is self-reliance, you are doing something that is so living into that principle that it feels extreme Mm -hmm. and you run away or you do X, Y, and Z. And it becomes this huge moment in game that, then needs repair, right? It requires everyone else, if we want to continue working together, to repair that moment. And those are just my favorite. The Both the big extreme moment and then the repair after are by far my, my favorites. For sure. There's a lot of them. Um, how do I walk back from this? <laughs> Which yeah. is, is a a part of life that is maybe not my favorite, but uh, it's really fun in a game. Yeah. It's, and it, well, and I think that's why I like it. I was like, 
it took our group a long time to get comfortable. There's a mechanic in game called guide and comfort. And our group, we've been playing for nine months and it felt like the first three months, we just did not do it. <laughs> we weren't good at it. Uh, we tried it. It was, it was like, those were still some of the best moments, but we still were hesitant and like, mm, I don't know about this, but it feels like that has become such a thing that we do now that is, it feels like every episode, well, my gosh, who's going to, who's, it's time for this. It's time for our guide and comfort session. And it feels like those moments are coming easier to us. And what that has done is it has made the storytelling better. For sure. I think that even in, even in role play, it's hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a practice skill and guiding and comfort is definitely being vulnerable as a character and helping others and I feel like I look for those moments in my in my day-to-day life more after practicing it in game I'm like oh man how could I be more vulnerable in my my real life (laughs) this is my point this is why we're talking about this is because like (laughs) this is why this game is so cool and you know there's actually a um most of the people who are listening to the show know that i am uh practicing and in school to become a therapist and there's a um a training out there by like uh, some company that is training gms to do kind of like be informed by like certain therapeutic modalities in their GMing. And I'm sitting here going like, give me that training. That sounds amazing. Um, Because like it, it tells you like, this is how you build a campaign. This is how you take advantage of these conversations. And I'm like sitting over here going like, as I see it happening on, on our game, when we're playing, when we're doing these things, it's incredible practice for people in real life. Like this is, what a joy it is to watch people say, hey, I really screwed up and I'm sorry. And giving people practice and language and it's so cool. It's so real. And I think that's why I like it so much is because those moments feel authentic, right? Um, it's wild to me how how cool that is. So I'm just I'm. I really love the game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really interesting way to at once escape from the real world, but also practice <laughs> through the real world. In a, like, right? It's, it's what a weird concept to think about. Yeah, and like all the the detriments, like instead of like hit points. You have, you get more tired and then you take conditions which are just bad moods. So yeah. your character will be angry, will be insecure, um, will be nervous. Um, and those are just feelings that you have to practice uh, role playing that you then walk back and like see how to recover from. Exactly. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Ah. Okay. So I, I've kind of, we, we've talked on this, at least from my perspective, and I, it sounded like you agreed, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, but do you have like favorite parts of playing the game? Like this is, these are the moments that you live for when you're playing the game. Oh, exactly what you mentioned. It's when a character loses their balance and does something extreme and then the walking it back and the vulnerable moments of guiding and comforting best part. 
And it's so interesting too, because that is what everybody seems to like, but also it's what everybody tries to avoid. <laughs> Isn't that cool though? Right? Like everyone's trying not to lose their balance and everyone's actively working and trying their best to avoid the need to walk back and be vulnerable. And yet those are the moments that everyone really kind of vibes off of. And in my head, I'm like, is that true in real life too? Is like, are those the moments that make life worth living is, is like, is that accurate? Is that an accurate statement? Like, I don't know, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. (laughs) I, love the the moments of vulnerability in real life where just the comfort and the the recovery i still think personally i would rather not have a huge moment of regret to look back on <laughs> yeah well it's 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 so wild because what makes a good story are those big emotional beats and I'm wondering if our lives are similar, where it feels like we're, I, I like part of me wonders if living this, you know, oh, I'm going to totally never take any risks and I'm not going to do anything leads us to, sure, we're, we're staying uh, in, in balance, so to speak, but we are also not experiencing what it's like to lose our balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's an interesting it's an interesting question, right? That makes me question, duh, uh, what and whether how it's making me question how I want to live my life. Honestly, is like, do I want to take more risks and get closer to losing my balance to explore whether that's the way that I want to live, or <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 super interesting. For sure. Um. Which begs the question then, since this game is so fun, but also fun in such a way that it's like making me think about how to live our lives. <laughs> I'm curious, what have you learned about yourself through playing this game for nine months? Um, I, I get a little, I get invested a little too easily. <laughs> that is a big one. There are some sometimes where other characters would really foil my goals in the game and I would have to remind myself in day-to-day life that I am not mad at the player and my friend in real life that I'm that my character is mad at their character in the game (laughs) so that I cannot I should not be a terse to them at work because of our uh our role-playing scenarios (laughs) yeah oh that's so funny oh I can think of several examples of that that's phenomenal um i'm curious you know you've learned a little bit about yourself too and i I, one of the things i've really enjoyed about the way that you've played the game is um there have been a few times where izo has and i think this is true to the character where you brooke have thought about how izo would respond to certain things and it's not until six sessions later that that comes out. But what happens is that's also true for for Izo. It may be, you know, six hours in game, but in like six weeks out of game. But 
you have really kind of honed and crafted some one-liner zingers that Izo has said that has kind of dropped the party, <laughs> like where we had to pause for a moment to, to process <laughs> what Izo has said. And I'm curious what it's like for you to kind of really get into the character for so long and hold on to the character's resentment for <laughs> right like but but honestly like that seems what it's like and i'm curious what that's been like i think in in real life something that me and Izo have in common is the how quickly he goes to anger <laughs> and that's um anger is a, an emotion that i am very practiced at in real life um and the way that i role play Izo is usually what is easiest for me to access. Mm. Um, and while I do not want to be a resentful person in real life, it is uh, those <laughs> kind of a mean, snarky things come easiest to me um, because maybe that's how my brain is wired. But um, it is nice to role play and practice walking down, walking down from those moments and seeing how it affects um the other characters in game. Yeah. Um kind of as a way to guard me against from doing that in real life. My <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I think is a, a healthy practice. Yeah. No, I I think it's awesome. And again, it's been those moments that have like made the game so exceptional. So I've I've loved that. Um so do you feel like your knowledge and or understanding of uh, or I guess perception of Avatar has changed since playing the game? Oh, from now on, I constantly look at the characters and want to figure out what their two values are and what their oh. balance, um, yeah. what their balance track is. Because I had never thought of the characters in the show as that way. Um, mm -hmm. But now I constantly... Um, see everyone in the lens of what two feelings are they fighting between um, is this a lose your balance moment um, how are you going to walk this back it's really easy to see the show and all other media in that in the formula of the game now yeah it's wild it's super cool I I, I do the same thing I'm like oh this is a lose your balance moment oh wow this is a <laughs> um, yeah super cool amazing and so you are also an artist, right? And, you know, want to want to capture that. And one of the coolest things that happened like really early on was after our first um, kind of experience playing, you you shot back and said, hey, this is this scene that we just did. And we got to see a, a, a picture, an image of what we just did. And uh, what a cool thing. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. <laughs> um, and uh, that was before I knew that you were, you know, painting and drawing a lot. Um, well, they're a great surprise for you. <laughs> it was. And um, you've also kind of sketched out a scene from most of our sessions, if not, you know, completed a full um, picture. But what's it? Why? why do that but also uh let's start there <laughs> just why um yeah. well i think everyone has their own way of 
interacting with the with the things they like. I mean, you do a podcast. Um, yeah. For me, I'm just a visual person, and um, drawing and getting to take the time to think about the campaign afterwards and to enjoy um, enjoy the moment saves me from talking everyone's ear off about like, oh, let me tell you what we did this time. So it's just a, another way to relive and enjoy um, our story um, That's a after great. the fact without just being like, we have to play again in two hours. Just keep going. Perpetual, perpetual Avatar Legends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I, I think that's part of my dream is like, okay, let's take a vacation where all we do is play Avatar Legends and, and then take breaks to eat. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of love that. Like the, it's a way to kind of remain in world, you know, like almost, and like to, to continue to re-experience. Um, but also it kind of what it does for, I think for us, for who are who is not drawing for those of us who kind of were participating in this and then get to see it reinterpreted in a different way um is often the scene you pick is the most uh emotional of the of the session or like a, a big action scene or it like it feels like it's a high stress or high stakes moment usually. And um, it really kind of puts into perspective like, oh man, like that was, that was a big, we had a wall of fire that we were dealing with in the middle of the street. And like that, that's like, that's what that would have looked like. And um, sometimes I, I feel like my brain doesn't process the literal image Um and so it's really nice to kind of see some of those things like, oh, that's what that would have looked like. That's more absurd than I thought it would have been. Or like that's, you know what I mean? Like more cartoony than I would have realized uh, in terms of like how it actually happened. So it's it's a really neat way for, um, I often think about how this story that we've been telling has been, you know, it's not like a, a perfect story for sure um, in terms of like, it's not like, watching this alongside avatar the last airbender it would be not the same but because of the amount of time and energy and living into these characters that we have invested into it it feels um just as intense almost um when the the stakes of the story and the beats of the story may not translate to like an actual show but it's super cool so ah what haven't we talked about? A great world. Yeah. What haven't we talked about in, in terms of Avatar Legends that we want to make sure we touch on? I, I think we've about covered it. Sweet. Um, well, then that, folks, is my pitch for, for everyone to find a, a group that you can commit to. <laughs> and uh, again, I think it's uh, another cliche example of you get out of it what you put into it right if you're willing to be vulnerable in the game then it is going to pay some serious dividends in your story experience and it's phenomenal um so 
now what I want to do is uh, we on the podcast, uh, as mentioned kind of earlier in the intro, are taking a turn into uh, over the next couple of months thinking about what do we do? And I, I'm like, it's let's dive into Kiyoshi. We've been thinking about it. We've been wondering whether this is the right move. And this seems like it's time to do it. And so you have read the books. You are one of the few people that I know in person that has read the books. Um, and so I was really excited to be like, okay, I can, this is somebody I know. This is someone we can talk about this thing. And now my, my, I'm ready. So with that in mind, um, you've kind of told us about why you started reading. I was like, hey, you should read this. Um, but what kept you reading when you were reading the books and uh, starting, especially the first one? Um, what kept you reading? There's a really great hook right at the beginning where I think from watching the show, Kiyoshi is built up as this legendary uh, figure, lived 300 years, um, one of the most powerful vet vendors of all time. And just seeing the Kiyoshi's origin story is something I never would have imagined. Um, and so just how unexpected it was really drew me in right at the beginning that Kiyoshi did not know she was the Avatar until she was like 16 and there was another person training to be the Avatar. Completely Wild. unexpected. Yeah. 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 And it's one thing where it's like that's that is dramatic irony at its finest, right? For for people who are at all familiar with the show and with the books or like just with anything Avatar would know that Kiyoshi is the avatar but like going into it and realizing you're like oh how do we get from here to there um and it's not what you expect <laughs> no, no definitely not yeah so the the hook in the beginning kept you reading so um it's a wild you you mentioned earlier that it's like it is an adult yes. experience right and i'm like the the themes in this book are very uh they are communicated in a very different way than the show like the the show uh atla was written specifically for nine to 14 year old boys that was the target audience when it was for for nickelodeon and uh we know that it is clearly reaching a larger audience than that um but it's really fascinating to think about especially on like the re resurgence of avatar in 2020 with the pandemic um it kind of led to this boom of re new watchers new viewers and a whole new group of people but the books hit different for sure and i'm curious when you kind of if you were to to name um like the big themes of the book what what would what comes to mind for you a really complex theme was um, grappling with your parents' choices and the choices of your predecessors. Because um, Kiyoshi is um, abandoned by her parents as a young child. Um, yeah. And she later um, travels and finds her parents' friends. They were, um, they were in a gang and realizes that 
her parents still had the um, the time and emotional capacity to care for another child around her same age, but they didn't take her with them. And it's just a huge, a very complex um, emotion for Kyoshi to see um, another boy that she's that got the love and attention that she wanted from her parents. Um, and just that theme of how do you, um, her parents have, have died. How does she, how does she reckon with their abandonment of her versus um, the love that they showed to others? Like, are her parents good people, bad people? Yeah. How do they fit into her life now? Yeah. And it's just wild to think about too, because he this other character who grew up with the the quote loving version of her parents is you know looks down on kiyoshi for for thinking poorly of them mm-hmm. right so there's this dual sense of what you're saying is is true to you but what kiyoshi is saying is true to her and if these things are both true how can how can that work how can that how can these things both be true for sure uh, and they, they don't get an answer to that question because you can't ask Yoshi's parents now yeah yeah and I and I think that that's one of the things I love about the book is it says here's something that's true here's something that's true let's make that play together mm-hmm. right and I feel like that happens more than once right it's these, sure. these books are really good at making really complex uh, relational dynamics that really make it so that you have to, it's like again it's you see two sides to people and they're very good at showing you both sides and making you do the work of deciding whether that person is quote good or bad or and when in reality we realize that it's it's not a binary but it's just the fact that people are complicated exactly <laughs> Uh, another one of my favorites was the relationship between Yoon and Kyoshi. Yoon is the um, the boy being raised as the avatar. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning, Kyoshi is his like personal assistant, like yeah. his top servant, basically. Um, and as the story develops, and we get this inkling that maybe Kyoshi might have some link to the avatar, and maybe Yoon can only be a really good earthbender. There comes up this complex idea of who deserves what because Yoon has been training and putting in all the work and by all means he he really deserves to be the avatar at that at that point after that like after all the shit that he went through and was Mm -hmm. put through by other people like oof yeah and if he's not the avatar then what happens to him and ah yeah well it's in i think what makes it so hard the books what makes the books really just like oh bummer and it's bummer in like a really good storytelling kind of way but a bummer also in like a that really sucks kind of way is that like they could have been incredible friends right they could have worked together so well and like he absolutely could have been like Kiyoshi's number one (laughs) right and it just like it makes again it's one of those things where it just makes so much sense why he reacts the way he does 
And also it's just like, it didn't have to be this way. <laughs> and it's just like this uh, big lament that is what makes those books so good. Um, and so I'm, I'm really thrilled at the story. It really is phenomenal. Um, so as you kind of, you, I pointed you in this direction for, um, you were at, we were getting into like Fire Nation clans and Fire Nation politics in, in game. And you were asking a bunch of questions. I was like, listen, you, if you want to know as much as I do about these things, all you got to do is read the book. And you were like, okay. Um, and you kind of, uh, walked away and, and, I remember you coming to the next session, having read the book and you were like, okay, this is how this is going to go. Yeah. And that's I think not this how is a went. mean trick that you pulled on me, Ben. Yeah. I loved it. It was awesome. But I'm, I'm curious, like I, I, I bring that up because I'm curious um, after having read it, after having then uh, negotiated those preconceived notions in game, um, I'm curious what thoughts or feelings after having read the books are still kind of lingering with you. What do you, what, when, like, you know, in a random day during the week, you think about the novel, what is the thought you think? Um, I like to think about how history, historical narrative is kept. Mm. That's a, a big theme of the book and something that they bring up in bits throughout throughout both novels are um, that the previous avatar um, and his group, the things that they did, how they are remembered. Yeah. And, um, and how they try to shape that narrative after the fact. Um, which, as we uncover, it's not all that it seems in the book. And I think that's just something that comes up day to day in how a historical narrative is presented in the world. Um, yep. a, really, a really clear parallel in the book that I get reminded of. Yeah. Um, it's in a, in a more depressing sense of how we glorify really awful historical events in America and, yeah. and then for individuals um how do you how do you remember your predecessors who have done bad things like do you still honor them do you mm. is this a is this a forget it is a forget it and move on thing or how do you live with the awful things that have been done before you yeah, that's so good. The The complexity of, you know, Yang Chen widely considered as like the best avatar ever. And then we get Avatar Kuruk, who is largely considered to be one of the worst avatars. And then, of course, one of the things that these two novels do is kind of uh, people in book also think that Kuruk was one of the worst avatars ever and it be things start to emerge of like oh this is why he chose what he did this is why he did this this and it's like oh oh and you realize that people tell stories a certain way to save face you realize people tell stories a certain way in order to uh preserve a certain narrative and 
it's really interesting to see how those stories make a big difference for for people and how they're told makes a big difference and yeah it's really frustrating when people use their power and privilege to change a narrative for their benefit and all of a sudden you come across oh this isn't true <laughs> like my whole world is changing because of that and again the it the stakes of that become really evident in these books so i, I think that's so true yeah oh man so one of the things this podcast does is it attempts to learn from uh these the you know media of avatar right um and so we've learned a lot from ang and the gang we've learned a, a lot from from cora and now we're gonna theoretically dive into these books and there's a lot to learn here too and i'm curious what are some um some themes in terms of like one word things that we might analyze and talk about moving forward like for instance the way we use lenses for the podcast to talk about specific episodes what are some lenses we might think about for certain chapters and not necessarily specific chapters like oh you, for chapter seven you should totally do this but, <laughs> um just like general things that you would want to explore if you were to go through that practice um, I was thinking about this a lot before we started because it's, it's really hard to distill it down into one word. Right. Um, but the one that stuck out to me was obligation. Ooh, um, we talked about that before. Because um, there's like the the obligation that the Avatar has to the world, but there's also um, Kurok and his Kurok and his gang at the time after Kurok has passed away his friends are trying to keep on the legacy and like raise the next avatar. And there's a lot of the, the theme of obligation with what do we owe Kurok um, mm -hmm. as we raise his next life and kind of the obligations towards the dead versus the living. Yeah. It's just a really, uh, really shapes all the characters' motivations. Well, it's also interesting, too, because one of the other like big themes that you're making me think of is the the human that is the avatar versus the role of avatar. And what what who how do you manage that? How do you raise a human that is like you are your own person? You have feelings. You are a whole person. <laughs> And you are also by by birth and by this, you know, tradition, this thing that is really, really intense and has a massive world obligation. And it's one of those things where like, is there truly an obligation here, right? Or is this something that the world has grown to expect that is an unfair expectation of this one person? Um, and it's an interesting question, right? Because like part of me is like, they don't they don't have to do anything. They are their own person. They don't like they're not required to do any of this. And yet they do, right? And and maybe there have been avatars in the past that have not kind of risen to the role. But from all the ones that we know, in some way, shape, or form, they have risen to the role, <laughs> um, risen to the call, so to speak. 
And it's an interesting, like, how do you balance the autonomy and individuality of the person alongside the giant expectations of the role? Um, which is <clears throat> one of the playbooks in Avatar Legends, role versus freedom. Um, the icon, I think that is. Um, I don't, I think that's the icon, but I digress. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I love this idea of obligation and who, to whom are you obligated? To what are you obligated? Why? Who's saying that you're obligated? Is the, And so like, there's a lot of questions around like, how does power and obligation work together? And there's a lot of cool things around that. That's a that's a really neat word that we can definitely touch on. What's a what's another one? That, any any others that came to mind? Um, uh, jealousy in that um, that dynamic between Kyoshi and Lek with dealing with uh, Kyoshi's parents. Kyoshi and Lek, Kyoshi and Yoon, like like even you know. Um, Rongi, maybe like there's there's a lot of like little jealousy pockets happening for sure Ooh, mm, dang so you're good at this i'm gonna start doing that more often yeah <laughs> um authority is another one yeah i think okay. um because we have a lot of corrupt authority we have yeah. a lot of people viewed as heroes um who who takes control of things versus who um who deserves to be in control. Yeah. Uh, that's a constant one too, right? Like the people in power versus the people that should be, right? Yes. Yeah. Story uh, of the world. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to Human 101. <laughs> um, yikes. Amazing. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing that the overall consensus is that um, if you are a fan of Avatar, how do you feel like you, what is your comfort level in recommending to people who've watched the shows, uh, to read the books? Is it like yeah. 10 out of 10 must read nine out of 10? It's different, but you should definitely read it eight out of 10. Like, I'm curious where, like, what's the, the thought process? Yeah, I would, I'd probably go, um, eight or nine out of 10. I thought it was a great book. Um, definitely not for younger kids, but for a, for an older, for an older audience. Um, I think that the, the show stands on its own so well that you don't, you don't need anything supplemental for it, but if you really enjoy it, then it's a, I think it keeps the, the feelings and what people like out of Avatar, um, is still in these novels. Mm so good awesome well uh we will eventually hit chapter one and you be looking out for it on the feed uh and i'm excited to uh tap into these books finally they've been out for a while now and uh we've been kind of dancing around it and we're we're finally approaching it so here we go um okay that kind of is going to bring us to the near the end of our show but we you know we've talked about several things and i would love to uh hold true to our you know podcasty things which is to be grateful and have gratitude at the end of our show so we've talked about quite a few things uh who is a character from either the kyoshi novels or from 
your Avatar Legends experience that you are thankful for? And why are you thankful for that character? I am. I'm really thankful for Yoon from the Avatar mm-hmm. Kyoshi books. The bold statement. Let's hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, while he might not make some good choices later on, um, I enjoy seeing how how he um, how he deals with his friends who may get things that he wanted that his expectations are ruined and he has a lot of uh has a lot of downfalls but how he tries to hold on to relationships and um well it's maybe not take it out on the people that he cares for <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah oh well i am Yeah, Yoon's an interesting choice. I think that like that's a really generous read, and I and I think it's true because it's one of those things where like, I have so much compassion for Yoon, but like man, oh, it's also I like think it's, I think it's easier to have compassion for him in the first book before the before yeah. the second one. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, I am super thankful for for the absolutely the character there's so many great moments where it's just like god so good um yeah i think one of the things that i'm really grateful for in terms of our conversation today is you know one of the things that i've appreciated about playing this uh this game over the course of a long period of time is you know, these characters start to become more real, perhaps, than (laughs) you think they will be, or when you, especially, like, at the beginning of the game, it's like, okay, I created a character who, I don't really care what happens to this person, and, you know, you know, we talked about at the beginning, we, we set the ground rules of, like, yeah, we can kill characters if we want to, and, um, you know, the stakes have gotten to the point where if a character dies, it's gonna be a big deal, and, I I have really kind of uh, grown with the weight of being in relationship with these characters. And one of the things I really appreciate about uh, Izo in particular and why I think I'm grateful for Izo is, you know, we've seen real complexity from Izo in the sense of, you know, you kind of addressed it. Like he starts out as quiet and reserved and only speaking up when something's really going against and grading against his values. And it's gone to the point where he's opened up to this group. We're starting to see a different side of Izo, but we're also seeing some some of that vulnerability and some of that um, complexity in terms of like, oh, maybe this was wrong. And oh, maybe I was right all along. And that kind of investment in character and investment in story is just really incredible. So I'm, I'm really grateful for Izo and um, in a way that I don't think I would have said <laughs> at the beginning of our game. Um, and so I'm really grateful for, for Izo and what a, what a fun character to, to have in a group. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. So you are uh, a, a super cool human and people yep. 
uh, on our show might hear what you have to say and be like, ooh, I want to check out their art or ooh, uh, they seem like a fun person to pick their brain about creating a character or ooh, uh, how do I contact Brooke? Uh, how do I learn more? Um, and so if there, if you would like to be contacted, uh, how would you like people to do that? Instagram is probably the the best way. My handle is at Brooke Newhart, B-R-O-O-K-E-N-E-W-H-A-R-T. Um, there it is, folks. I, I don't post as much art as I would like to, but I'm I'm slowly working through trying to trying to illustrate all of our sessions and maybe I'll do a big uh image done yeah (laughs) amazing well cool Uh, you you heard it here folks you can find brooke on instagram you can also find our podcast and all of our cool things on instagram and pretty much every other social media um and feel free to contact us dm us all the things um we are not super active in posting but we do respond to dms fairly quickly if you are not spamming us um and so check us out there but the best place to check us out is on patreon where we have lots of cool things we have a patreon uh, avatar legends game that's happening we also have live episodes that happen uh from month to month and you can find us there and i highly recommend it uh And that, folks, is the end of our show. Brooke, thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, relaxing Sunday to sit with me and uh, talk about this. And uh, everyone else, until next time, be well and do good.